Hello and welcome. My name is Roni Firone, and this is The Bigger Picture, where we sit down with experts to hear about their journeys, their insights, and the big ideas that drive them. Stay tuned for today's episode. So today I got the chance to sit down with two really incredible individuals, Nirmi Nerbi and Amir Neve, who are two of the founders of a quantum computing company called Classic, and that's Classic with a Q. Quantum computing is an exciting new approach that integrates computers as we know them today with the principles of quantum physics. This is a new, revolutionary frontier that's still growing, and really when we sat down to talk about the exciting work that's happening in this field, it sounded almost like science fiction. Nir and Amir did an amazing job in simplifying things for us and giving us a background on the evolution of quantum physics itself. We spoke about the emerging industry of quantum computing and about what part they hope their company Classic will play in this new frontier. We also got into their journey being founders of a startup and spoke at length about their philosophies around work-life balance, personal growth, and how to cultivate a company culture of family and excellence. I hope you enjoy. So today we're going to talk about your company, Classic which is in the field of quantum computing, which might sound very science fiction to most people. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you guys and exploring this field. So for to start, first, can you kind of give the audience a bit of an introduction on who you guys are and how you got to this field of quantum computing? Right. So uh, my name is Amir, 30 years old. Well, I was uh, into physics uh, already in, in high school, but main background is studies and then a long um, service in the Israeli Ministry of Defense. Uh, so a lot of algorithms, uh, software development, mainly in the satellite industry, and then pretty new to quantum and quantum computing. But uh, my passion is really for developing new technologies, new algorithms, new software projects. So uh, that's sort of uh, how I got into this field. Amazing. Amazing. And Neil? So I'm almost 30. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> for the last decade, I was also, uh, uh, also mainly in the Israel intelligence community. Started in a Talpiot program. After that, cybersecurity units. And we established this company uh, together and with our third co-founder, uh, Dr. Yudana Ve, uh, a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. My background is uh, in physics. My uh, experience in software and quantum computing is the combination. So it's quite exciting. Beautiful. So we are talking about this term quantum computing, and I'm sure that um, some of the listeners aren't exactly sure because it's such a new field. So before we jump into quantum computing, can you guys give us a bit of an uh, overview about quantum physics and how how it relates to quantum computing? Sure. So so I'll start. So the, the story about quantum is pretty much like every science story we, we have, you know. So what is science is understanding nature and maybe a few decades after harnessing it to our own needs. So let's start like 300 years ago with uh, Isaac Newton and also uh, Maxwell, which discovered, you know, uh, electricity and uh, mechanics. And it it was like uh, uh, some kind of interesting point in physics because most of the scientists believe we know everything, right? There is nothing else to be discovered because we know how uh, a tennis ball would uh, fall from our hand. And we also know how galaxies move and, you know, how electricity and, and uh, waves uh, act. Yeah, I think that's every generation thinks that it's figured everything out, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then COVID comes, right? Uh, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Another curveball in the mix. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, uh, um, you know, it was a, a nice uh, time to to summarize physics and uh, because it was all solved. And then like at the beginning of the 20th century, 
things were uh, more interesting because Niels Bohr and Albert Einstein and some more genius physicists discovered that nature is not so simple. It wasn't so simple before, but they discovered some phenomena that they couldn't explain. And I'll give an example. So usually when we are talking about, you know, physical stuff like this table or, or a tennis ball or anything else, we know perf- perfectly well where are they located, right? If I'll uh, go to the bathroom and come back, this table will remain here. No chance that it will, you know, reappear in, in Australia. <laughs> but they discovered that in some ex- experiments they did, it was more interesting. So what they did is shooting electrons. Electron is, is like a tennis ball, only very, 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 very small, right? So it has its own mass. So it should be in one place at a time. But what I discovered is that electrons are in very different place, places at the same time. And finding the electron in specific place is probabilistic. It's not deterministic. And that was not only weird, that was a revolution. And Einstein hated it. You know, he, he, he just couldn't understand how, how nature could, could be probabilistic. And that was one very weird phenomena. The other one, which is very interesting, is quantum entanglement. So usually we are uh, used to uh, the speed of light to be, uh, you know, some upper bound Mm-hmm. to the uh, you know to how fast we can move information from one place to the other so if you are located on earth and someone is located on the sun so first good, good luck to him but uh, <laughs> you know you, you can't transfer information in a second it will take like uh, 8 minutes uh, if i recall and what's interesting about quantum entanglement is you can uh, take two uh, quantum particles, it could be two photons or electrons or many more, do some operations on on both of them, then send one of them to the other side of the universe, really, really far away, and they still connected, right? So if you change one of them, at the very same moment, you know that the second one will be changed, or at least you know Let's say that uh, 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 you have, you know, they have uh, two possible colors, right? Blue and uh, white. So once you check the one on Earth and it's blue, so you know for 100% that the other one is blue, even though a moment before it was probabilistic. You couldn't have said that. And that was another evolution. It, it doesn't mean that you can transform information faster than light, but that's kind of deep physics. I, I don't want to get there, but that was very counterintuitive. And this is another very significant part of quantum physics. So just to, to summarize, at the beginning of, of the 20th century, we understood, not we, uh, Einstein and, and his, his friend understood that physics is much more complex than what was assumed before. Nature is complex. Nature is quantum. And in the next few decades, Quantum mechanics uh, uh, was uh, developed and it was solved uh, by the Schrodinger's equation, which which, uh, uh, tells us exactly how a quantum state will evolve in time. Okay, we mentioned Schrodinger. Can you tell us about the Schrodinger's cat, just for people who don't know what that means? Yeah, sure. So the the Schrodinger's cat was a, a, a... an experiment, you know, a, 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 a virtual experiment, not, so not a thought, a, thought experiment. Yeah, thought yeah. experiment, exactly, uh, which tried to demonstrate the the element of superposition, meaning you know a particle can be can be in several uh, places or states at the same time. So the, they took a box and well, a cat, and <laughs> and they put a cat uh, inside the box and. Then they 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 shoot a, a photon which was uh, in superposition. He was uh, uh, able to 
let's say, uh, um, uh, enter or not enter the, the box with uh, the same probability, 50% and 50%. If it gets inside the box, it will uh, um, initiate some poison gas in the box and the cat will die, obviously. And if not, so uh, he will still be a cat in the box, but alive, right? So the, this experiment, what Schrodinger says is, until you measure, you, you open the box and you, you see whether the cat is alive or dead, so the cat is also in a superposition. It's at the same time, live and dead. And this brings us to the other, another very important uh, element of quantum physics, which is measurement. Because all mm -hmm. of this magic of superposition breaks when you measure the, uh, you know, when you check where it is. So let's re return to this table, right? It's, it's very solid, right? But our, according to quantum mechanics, if I, I, I'm, you know, taking a look to the other direction, it has some real probability of disappearing. And, you know, obviously the probability is very, very, very low because it's a macroscopic object. It's not you know, quantum in, in its nature, like electron and photon, uh, it's highly entangled. And that, that's another, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, phrase from, from this space, which means the quantum uh, characteristics are, you know, are hard to observe, but it has some probability to disappear. And every time, you know, I'm taking a look at it, so I'm measuring it. So I'm making sure it's here. So I'll keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> so the table doesn't disappear. Oh, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. There's this idea of observing that um, I think it's so cool when you almost, you know, it's how our consciousness kind of interacts with physics and the world. Very, very cool to think about, in my opinion. Okay, so so we've arrived at this idea of quantum physics, which basically, you know, uh, to put very simply, tells us that the the world isn't as clear cut as we thought it was beforehand, right? We were, you know, before the quantum physics, as you said, there was a very mechanistic, machine like, orderly view of the universe, and all of a sudden, there's all of this probability and this chaos, and you're not quite sure where you are, and um, and I think just a lot of I guess the probability aspect of it is the most uh, most significant that comes into the mix. So, okay, we we talked about quantum physics. Now, what is this thing called quantum computing? Because you know we all know computers, and you know known as uh, classical computing, and now we have quantum computing. So, if we're talking about photons and electrons that might be here, might be there, how does that relate to to computing? Right. So I'll start uh, describing the, the concept and then Amir will uh, dive into the technical uh, details. So the Schrodinger's equation was developed like in, in uh, the end of, of the 20s of the uh, uh, previous century. And after that, we had some uh, like five decades of many Nobel Prizes in, in quantum physics. But, and also some practicality, by the way, you know, classical computers work with transistors and the, uh, you know, the, the, the operation that uh, enables the, 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 you know, transistor to work is quantum as well. So that was maybe the first quantum revolution, but only in the 80s. So uh, Richard Feynman, one of the greatest physicists and a Nobel Nobel Prize winner as well. He said something like that. Classical computers are great. We can do so many things with them. But nature is quantum, right? And if we want to solve some of the most challenging problems in nature, you know, classical computers are limited. So we should better do it on a quantum computer. Computer which, you know, is based on quantum mechanics and it is much more natural for it to, to to perform these computations. And uh, now I think it's a good time for Amir to explain what is quantum computing. Okay, so one of the things that 
I, I want us to talk about is this idea of, um, you know, the binary code of uh, classical computing, this very yes, no, one, zero, and how quantum computing kind of turns that on its head. Right. Yeah. So, so let's, let's start with the classical computing part and then um, kind of st- try to put a spotlight on the differences uh, and the similarities between quantum and classical. Brilliant. So, so um, in classical computing, in the very end, in the very bottom layer of what's happening, you have transistors, which are basically like a switch. And you can uh, turn it off. It's either one or a zero. And as you said, it's very binary. It could be a one or a zero. And when you want to, for example add to integers or multiply, then this is just mapped into a sequence of how these transistors are wired together. And then you just put as an input signal um, the binary coding of each of the integers. And then as an output, uh, you will have ones and zeros that uh, encode the answer to this question. And of course, this can be done much more complicated. So not only adding uh, binary integers, but uh, every thing we see around us in the digital world from internet to Zoom video conferences, all are in essence mapped to these binary signals and then uh, performed on the on the binary transistors. And what happens in the quantum computing is that the fundamental uh, processing unit is called a qubit. And um, similar to a bit, it also has a one and a zero, but the qubit is exactly this um, physical entity that is working uh, by the laws of quantum mechanics. So instead of a transistor, you'd have, uh, well, there are quite a lot of various technologies that incorporate a qubit. So it could be an atom, it can be um, uh, several atoms that are um, uh, charged or, or neutral, or you can have superconductors, or you can have uh, sometimes even more exotic stuff. Sometimes it's even on um, on photons, on particles of light. Um, but all of these, what all of these have in common is that they have um, this um, possibilities of being both at one and zero in the same time, and you can entangle them together, and and they work according to the laws of quantum mechanics, which um, uh, again are, are governed by the Schrodinger equation. Um, and then when you want to do something, uh, then you have a set of these qubits and you uh, generally, what you do is evolve them in time. So just as a very, maybe an example that, that will maybe put things into place, say you have a molecule. So the molecule is, is we, know it, it's exi- we know it exists and we can uh, formulate exactly how it behaves. And then we can start with how the molecule is at a time zero and then evolve the molecule just as nature evolves it um, with with the Schrodinger equation, we can map this into um, sort of a time evolution on the qubits. So we actually have, in some sense, um, we encapsulated nature into these qubits. Uh, and this can be done in also many other problems that are not only in how nature behaves. So many of the optimization problems we're handling today or machine learning problems um, can also be mapped into these states that are propagated in time and then giving us the results we want. So, wow, wow, crazy in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot there. So, the you know, you talked about qubits and how they're you, you said something about you either use atoms or photons. So, are you speaking about the hardware itself of the computer? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's where the analogy between the quantum and classical is is actually quite good. So, in in the very bottom, a classical computer is always based on these binary switches, uh, usually implemented by transistors. And in the exact same sense, in the bottom of the quantum computer lie these physical uh, entities called qubits, and they're they're made instead of by transistors, by superconductors, or by Atoms, so you can have this one individual atom, and it has two energy states. And for example, the lower energy would be a zero, and the higher energy would be a one. And if you'd, for example, shine a laser on it, right, pulse a laser on it, you can move the energy from zero to one. And if you gave half the pulse, so you'd be in a superposition. You won't be at half. You won't. You will be at a probability of zero and a probability of one, a superposition of both. So wow. This is really crazy, but as Neil explained, that's <laughs> the the fun part. That's no, how... it's amazing. It's it sounds basically that the hardware of the quantum computer is it's it, it seems like it belongs in a lab. You know what I mean? If you, it's it sounds like a physics experiment. Amazing. So um, 
your company, Classic, what problem in this field are you guys trying to solve? Right. So I'll, I'll start and then uh, I think we can talk about this for <laughs> a couple hours only on this question. So just very generally, just as in the classical world, when you'd want to write an application or even say you want you have uh, a couple of, of uh, numbers of integers and you want to sort them. And you know how to sort them, right? You'd take the first number and you'd, uh, if the number to its right is uh, larger, then you'd move it to the right uh, or to the left. And, and right, yeah, you can, you can so- sort all the integers like that. Um, you have the algorithm in your head, right? Mm-hmm. But then making a com- computer do this involves taking these concepts you have in your head and actually translating them down into the bits that are implemented by the transistors, Right. So this These is operators of the equations. You're basically you're translating it into the language of ones and zeros. Exactly. And this and this involves many layers of what we call abstraction. Right. The ability for you to express what you want, and then um, the technologies that take the this uh, mathematical expression now and um, tra- translate it in the end into into the transistors. So this is in the classical world, and in the quantum world, the challenge is actually quite similar. So you have all these problems, optimization problems, quantum chemistry problems, search problems. Um, actually, most of the hard problems in the world can be tackled in some way or another by a quantum computer. Uh, and you know what you want to do. You have this vision of the algorithm, but the distance from this um, um, algorithmic thought to the actual implementation on the qubits, it's very similar to what's happening in the classical world, is, is a very complex translation. You need to build all these layers of abstraction. It's technologies built in the classical world over 70 years. So uh, we're taking uh, the most important of these technologies, the one that are the bottlenecks today for enterprise users and, and uh, other uh, people that are interested in solving these problems that have, have value and, and can benefit from their solving and putting the technologies in place so that when the quantum computer is ready, then we won't be stuck on the software side and we'll actually enable them to, to take these algorithms you know, from thought to actual implementation. Amazing, amazing. So basically, classical computing, the software that we have there in a sense, you guys are translating it into the language of quantum computing and and figuring out already how to basically translate it into this language. Is it, that in a nutshell? Exactly. exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, it's quite exciting what what's happening with with quantum computing and quantum software because you know I'll make maybe a stupid analogy, but imagine you know you have all the universe open and you can you know you can uh, uh, plan the, the route for, for a specific star, right? How to navigate there. And you can do it. it. It's challenging, but you don't have the spaceship. But imagine not, that now you have a spaceship that can take you, you know, all over the universe, but you don't really have the navigation to many stars. So that's kind of the story with quantum computing. For like 40 years since the 80s, there was no hardware, right? No quantum computer at all. And all, all we could do was to design quantum algorithms. And this is very challenging, as Amir said. So, so far in 40 years, a handful, only, only a handful of useful quantum algorithms were developed. And some of the you know, most famous were developed in the 90s. But in the 90s, you, you don't have this spaceship, right? You don't have a quantum computer. And... All of a sudden, in the in the last five or four years, we're experiencing quantum computing revolution because the computers them, themselves are transitioning from dream to reality. And in few years, we'll have useful quantum computers, which you know, uh, figuratively could take us anywhere in the universe. And now we need to open this software bottleneck. We need to. No, to be able to design useful quantum algorithms. And that's a huge challenge we are trying to solve. Amazing. So you guys are really planning ahead in that sense. So the field of quantum computing, what do you think are the 
real benefits of quantum computing over classical computing. Because we said that, you know, uh, like Richard Feynman said, that the world is quantum, so we need a quantum computer. But can you guys give us some examples of exactly what is the difference in the ability of a quantum computer? Yeah, sure. So so I'll give two examples. Maybe uh, one is more like what Feynman meant at the beginning and one is in a very different space. So, okay, so as we said before, nature is quantum. And now um, let's uh, take a look at ammonia. Ammonia is, uh, this is a molecule and that's one, probably the the world's most important fertilizer, right? If we didn't know how to produce ammonia, we just we, we we wouldn't have you know enough food in the world, so that that would be a problem. <laughs> and luckily, we do know uh, because like hundred years ago, uh, uh, Fritz Haber invented the, the Haber Bosch uh, process, which allows us to produce ammonia. The problem is that this is a very energetic consuming process, and two percent of the world's energy consumption. Uh, is dedicated for for this process. And that's a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of pollution. And it's very frustrating because every plant in the universe, you know, that's that's part of its its nature. It's being done in room temperature without any energy consumption, almost any. So why can't we just, you know, mimic this great natural process? And the answer is that we don't. We can't really uh, simulate chemical processes because quantum computer, uh, sorry, classical computers, even mm-hmm. the most powerful supercomputers in the world, just just choke when they are trying to simulate molecule. Even if you take relatively simple molecules, it could take a billion years to to simulate it. And that's one of the things that quantum computer are are very good at. Right? It it can do it within a few seconds or, or minutes or hours, but it's possible. So that's one example. Another example, you know, is is solving uh, all sorts of optimization problems like, you know, uh, uh, traffic optimization or portfolio optimization in financial institutions, you know, uh, or, you know, options pricing, for, for example, probably the, the, the most uh, uh, different example than uh, mimic uh, nature, right? <laughs> but it, it, it helps because classical computers are very limited because, you know, if you want to, to solve some optimization problem, which has many, many, many different possibilities, so classical computer is bounded to, to check one uh, option at a time, right? Right. And if you have like uh, two to the power of 300 options, which is larger than the number of atoms in the universe, you, you can't do it in a reasonable time. And this parallelism of quantum computers allows you to solve very, very crucial optimization problems in a very uh, short time. So that's another, another uh, use case. But Basically, in every industry, there are revolutionary use cases. You know, only like a handful of useful quantum algorithms are known, but luckily, each of them is a revolution. So uh, there is a, you know, a, a good reason to to wait for the for the next few years. No, of course, there's. I mean, when you think of solving any problem, there's so many different variables and there's so many possibilities, and you know, the human. Uh, brain or consciousness, you know, we we can only think through so many options, and um, you know, we we have a problem, we find a solution, and we don't realize there are second order and third order effects that we didn't count for. So, it sounds like this uh, quantum computing revolution basically is able to simulate through all of those possibilities and take into account all of these variables that. Um, that you know we can we can't really fathom you know we kind of know what's going on in there but but not quite yes you, you know f- first you're totally right but what what should be avoided is is you know uh, falling into the hype because because it's very easy for for me to say that yeah on a quantum computer uh, you or, or, you know on a 300 qubits quantum computer the number of parallel computations is larger than the uh, the number of atoms in the, in the universe it's correct, you know. It, it is correct, but the challenging the challenge is to know what to do with it, with this parallelism, right? If you don't know 
how to manipulate the quantum state on a quantum computer to perform some useful tasks. And currently, we can barely do that. It, you know, uh, it would be nice to say that we have a great parallelism, but it, it won't give us a lot. But as you said, the potential is, is huge. And, you know, we, we, in my, you know, according to my opinion, we, we can barely imagine how will it look like in, in a decade. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, no, because it's um, the potential is so great. And uh, I think our imaginations are the limit here. And also the, the translational work that you guys are doing. It's almost like mapping out a new continent in a way. You know, it's uh, um, trying to try and understand how to how to speak in this language and how to solve these problems uh, using this, like, it's almost like the superpower that we still don't know quite how to use and uh, how to harness. It's, I, I, I want to add on that, not exactly on quantum computing, but in general on, like, emerging or new technologies. So sometimes there is just hype with not many, much essence underneath, but sometimes it's the other way around, right? If you have some incredible citations from the head of a uh, president of IBM and CEO of Intel on what they think are the markets and the uh, like uh, propositions of, of classical computers back in the 50s and 60s. And you hear what these guys are saying and it's like there will be a market for maybe five computers. Someday <laughs> we will make a computer weigh a, a ton and a half, like reduce the weight to only one like, uh, f- uh, like uh, 1,500 uh, kilograms. Um, and then like uh, we see what's happening today with the classical computing. And also um, in the space industry where I like uh, where my background lies. So we had the first satellite back in the 50s and it went beep, beep. And no one really thought <laughs> this had any um, real applications. But now none of us can move without a GPS that is generally right. just satellite constellations above us. And in a few years, we'll have fully connected worldwide internet anywhere in the world, no matter how remote, because we have like these constellations of satellites above us. So, um, okay. so, so-, so that's like no one can really uh, fully grasp the potential of these incredible technologies in the first few years. And then I think when we'll be looking back to this decade or two, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, then I think uh, we'll really grasp what what this um, fundamental change was or maybe see that we're mistaken the other way and that um, uh, for some reason uh, physics that right now we don't understand really inhibits some of the amazing things that um, we think can be done. Maybe, but you know, from what you just said, it's it's almost like there isn't enough hype you know, if you look at all of these technologies that have been developed a uh, hundred years ago, like on the course of the past one hundred years, as you said, people people didn't understand how revolutionary each of these things was going to be, and they underestimated it. And if you if you take that pattern into account, then you know most likely quantum computing is going to have that same effect because it's really the like I said, the imagination is the limit, and it's hard to hard to fathom, hard to fathom a new world where things are so different. If you take into um, like take for example, like you said, the satellite, right, and the GPS, and having we all have a computer in our pocket, we all have a smartphone, and it that was just what two thousand eight, you know, uh, right, something yeah, like exactly, that, exactly, insane. Yes. So, so, yeah, it's really exciting to see what lies ahead. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> we're looking forward. Absolutely. So, okay, so I wanted to kind of shift gears here and talk a bit about your whole process and your whole journey in founding Classic. Because being an entrepreneur and founding a company, founding a startup is, you know, it's always requires, I think, a leap of faith, right? Really believing in your vision and believing in yourself that you're able to implement it and, you know, going forth into the world. And you guys are doing that in a field that is still really, still hasn't fully developed, right? It's it's going to take a few years until the hardware catches up. So I want to kind of hear about, first of all, the the initial inspiration that that you guys had for, for quantum computing and for classic in particular. And how how do you guys stay motivated in this field where the 
you know, the, the ROI on this might be, might take a few years, right? For the feel to catch up with what you're doing. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll start. So for me, I mean, th- this is an incredible journey, right? And and of course, we're putting a lot on the line here. So we're uh, any any startup you're, you're, or company you're going to found is fundamentally with a lot of risk. And then when you're into this field with so many uncertainties and, and uh, things that are not fully mature yet, so it's even an ex- extra risk, right? But I think the main motivation would be what is the impact, right? How, uh, I mean, you have a limited time to spend and, and you want your time to be devoted to something that actually makes a change and actually makes an impact. And for that, risk-taking is something that, for me, I'm, I'm willing to tolerate. I'm willing to take the long run and willing to, uh, you know, invest my time and efforts for something that I know won't succeed in 100% or I have a lot of uncertainties, but... But the upside is incredible, right? The upside is really building something from zero to one, both in the regular sense of building a company, but also in the sense of this technology and being in the front wave and actually creating something new, moving into uncharted territory. So this is something that's exciting enough for me to to uh, outweigh the risks and, and the downsides. Absolutely. It's, it's such an adventure. Yeah, well, I nodded a lot when Amir talked, so <laughs> uh, maybe I'll just say, you know, publishing a startup in, in a blue ocean, it's risky, right? Because you can turn up to be a very large shark in, in an empty ocean and, you know, to starve. On the other hand, establishing a startup in a red ocean, well, it's it's da- dangerous as well. And I think with quantum computing, is it's kind of exciting timing because obviously it's it's not too late right we are you know we, we feel it we, whether it's a, 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 you know we, we even with patents we are you know filing some patents which it, it's unbelievable we can file right now because it is a blue ocean and we can really establish our presence as market leaders on the other hand it's risky and maybe you know like uh, uh, like cold fusion right cold fusion uh, this technology it's always constantly five years ahead right and it, it never happens so maybe quantum computing is like that i don't think so nor google and amazon and ibm intel microsoft and governments it doesn't look like that but you know if we took the the wrong bet it's great we because if quantum computers aren't possible you know to scale up it means we discovered some new physics we understood that the world doesn't work how how we thought and that's you know as exciting as building a, a billion dollar company and uh, <laughs> you know amazing yeah. no i mean you know from what you just said it's um it's kind of like you know your your entrepreneurs and scientists at the same time you know, you're willing to have the hypothesis be disproven. You know, in the worst case, there's there's information in that and there's a discovery in that. But I think I think what you guys are doing is amazing and has so much potential. I mean, also, just maybe one more thing that you reminded me in your last sentence on, yeah, on, yeah like it's not only on whether quantum happens whether the business succeeds we're also i i mean for me personally it's an incredible personal growth journey right so i mean even if everything fails it would be really sad on the one hand but i mean the the tools and and the the things i've learned from from this past year and a half so it's something i don't think that any formal education or any book you read can really give you that sense of of what it's like and and how i mean uh, this wider perspective on things. No, absolutely. There's it's it's said a lot that in the entrepreneurial spirit really what it requires is the ability to absorb failures. And there's something in that of realizing that even if you know, and, and we're talking about this as if it's like um, as if it's already failed, and that's not the case. I'm just when there's something risky involved, then you kind of always have to have in the back of your mind, what am I going to do in the worst case? And I think treasuring the journey and everything that you're learning from this and everything that you're gaining. And also, I think just the self-respect of being able to 
you know, venture out and start something new and, and, and build something from scratch, right? And if this doesn't work, then the next thing will work. Uh, so I think, I think that's just having that, that spirit of being able to trust the process and just do the best you can and, and trust that, that it'll right. work out. And, and yes, it is also a very personal journey that you guys are going through right now. So I'd love, I'd love to hear how, when you guys thought about this together, was the idea kind of both had the idea together? Was it over conversation? Did one of you like, did it pop in your head and, you know, you call up the other one and, uh, so yeah. actually when I was seven years old, uh, I, uh, I dreamed that I'm going to initiate a startup in the field of physics. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, what a story. <laughs> seven years old, I can, I can imagine you. <laughs> no, I was re- dreaming about uh, football and uh, stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> no, so actually... We were both in the army, right? In okay. in uh, in a technical uh, uh, world, but but we knew what what we want, w- wanted to do, right? And since like twenty fifteen or sixteen, we had a, a you know a joint WhatsApp group which was called a Startup Twenty Nineteen because <laughs> we knew that that's exactly what we want to do uh, after we finish our service. And, uh, you know, then 2019 uh, arrived. And so we needed to initiate a startup, right? But <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, we, we didn't start from, from quantum computing. We started with several several different ideas in uh, in neuroscience and uh, in uh, computer vision. And we, you know, I, I think that what was uh, more important for us is enter- entrepreneurship. Well, that's an uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, I know. Oh, I always, exactly. I always mess it up. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I should have practiced. <laughs> yeah, so that's one, um, and not specifically the, the the topic, right? We wanted to do something good, but uh, the main metric, to be honest, at at that stage was finding uh, the right uh, uh, field which will enable us to, you know. To, to leverage our experience and to initiate some good company in a good field that could bring good, but, you know, could also do a, do a, good, a good business. You know, it's not academy, it's, it's, it's the, the real life. So, um, and then after a few months and, you know, after killing some uh, nice ideas, mm-hmm. uh, which weren't good enough for many reasons, we started talking about uh, quantum computing. It was... Um, you know, a bit after Google has published their, you know, quantum supremacy. And uh, yeah, the the other thing that was very important is uh, Amir's father, uh, uh, Dr. Yuda Nave, uh, which we usually call just Yuda. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he is a world-leading expert in this field and he worked uh, at uh, IBM for 20 years and specifically in the last Five or six years, he established and was leading the IBM quantum activity in Israel, which is very important in the entire IBM quantum activity. And um, we started talking with him about about uh, initiate a startup in this field, and we made we made a lot of uh, of progress. Amir and, and and myself, and we learned a lot of quantum computing. We had the relevant background, but you know, uh, deep diving in into this field was uh, was very challenging. Um, and we 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 did some uh, we did a lot of research on on various ideas. Some were definitely too early, like mm-hmm. you know uh, management of of uh, quantum in the cloud or, or things like that. Some were uh, already maybe uh, too late because some of the tech giants uh, are doing them. And we wanted to find wanted to find the idea that you know. Uh, uh, scale up with the market, right? Because uh, uh, otherwise, we we wouldn't fulfill the entire potential of this revolution. And I think this idea, which provides enterprises with the ability to design their own quantum algorithms, that that's the one. And you know, the the rest is a. Uh, um, uh, after that, we just you know we initiated this company. 
Yuda, of course, took a, a huge leap of faith and uh, uh, we, you know, we resigned from IBM uh, in a very, very good terms. You know, he built there an incredible team which is flourishing these days. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So, you know, you guys, uh, you guys mentioned the WhatsApp group. I wanted to, I wanted to ask on that, how... I think one of the really important things when you're f- founding a startup is the team that you're working with, right? And your partner. And what would you say, how, how, how did you guys know that you guys would make good partners for each other? Right. So, uh, so I'll, I'll, we're both eager to answer that one. Oh. <laughs> so uh, for, for me and Nir, it's, it's actually, it's, um, it goes a really long way back. So we've known each other since we were 14 and really took all the um, uh, major steps in life together, right? Same uh, middle school, same high school, same army service in the same place uh, with the same people. Um, also... Um, Uh, rented uh, rooms in the same apartment and wow. uh, really like w- w- both originally from uh, from Haifa and and uh, big football fans so it's really <laughs> like um, uh, goes a long way back um, and I think if if there are any entrepreneurs uh, listening to this uh, podcast so I think one my my one bit of advice on how to really found something is first, To find the right partners and when you have the right partner with with also uh, the same mindset of what your goals are and and I mean there are a lot of questions on this how far are you looking ahead are you building something for 20 years ahead for 10 years ahead are you looking only short term for for a half year a year and then when once you figure out the big the big things what what your personal goals are how you're going to work together and and divide responsibilities then I mean you Finding there are many ideas in the world, and what is really um, there is a lack of is the people that are willing to take risks and build these ideas, take them from something that is conceptual and thoughts into practice and actually building something. Uh, so I'd say first step is definitely the people. And then, I mean, For us both I mean you mentioned earlier that we're working um, with a third, third partner which is my father and uh, I've known he's one of the few people I've known uh, longer than Nir so, <laughs> <laughs> and and I mean uh, so that's also a huge privilege I mean both for me personally and and of course he's really one of the brightest and and sharpest people that um, I, I had to I got to work with and know for for most of he, my passion for physics and for mathematics and Uh, came from him and and uh, from a very young age so I'm really happy that uh, our paths converged at some point uh, but for sure this is the one thing that actually I think makes the difference makes things work or not work and and builds great companies or like uh, it takes you into a path of, of suffering <laughs> it depends on on which, on which if you make the decision right or not no of course I think I think the people that are around you are it's the most important thing whether you're you know founding a company or um, you're working in any job right it's the people around you but really in a in such an enterprise when you're taking on this huge risk and there's so much work that needs to go into it having someone who Um, having someone there to experience it with you and someone who's aligned with your values and your goals. And I think there's only so much we can do by ourselves and even not only do, but think, right? There's only so much that we can, only so many pr- problems that we can think through and solve by ourselves. There's something in having another brain in the room, right? Another perspective that's so helpful to... Um, to to see another side of something to you know where you might be a little bit more worried about one thing you know your partner can 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 balance you out and vice versa uh, I think I think it's so important maybe I'll just also add yeah. on I mean so obviously this is the most important part that finding the right partners to work this journey on uh, and then and then I think for us we see the whole team as part of like an extended family right mm-hmm. so everyone that is working with us is is um, I mean we're both co-workers friends someone to 
shared this journey with, and and it's really important. So happily, not only the uh, in this case, not only the founders, but also the team. I mean, it's a, a fundamental part of the journey, and also will make, in my view, the things really succeed or fail. That's that what it number one depends on. Yeah, I think you know if uh, if you're creating a company with a culture of family where everyone feels like they're you know, working towards the same goal and everyone's connected, I think there's no better motivation than that, right? That's that's a company where people are happy to come into work every day. They're excited. You know, they feel valued themselves. Uh, they feel seen. And I think that that can be lacking in a lot of, uh, lot of office environments, uh, maybe, you know, more corporate environments. Uh, but really fostering that, you know, sense of family and sense of uh, uh, we're all in this together and everyone has something to contribute. I think that's so powerful. Um, would, you, would you say that, that that is your main company culture? Is there anything else that's, you know, values that are important for you guys to have in your company? I'd say, uh, I mean, there are a lot, but I'd say excellence is for sure. I mean, something that... I mean, it's it's something everyone strives for, for, but I think individually and collectively, it's something that we really, I mean, people have a hard time when things are mediocre. It's like <laughs> from the individual person uh, writing their bit of code to what the product really uh, enables and, and if the customer is uh, satisfied or not. Um, I mean, people will uh, take not only the extra mile, but the extra 10 miles if needed um, to make things happen, not because I would be um, upset or angry or anyone else would be dissatisfied, but because it comes from an individual sense of, of just uh, when we have a task, whether it's individual or collective, then this task is done, you know, in an excellent way. I think that would be... Um, my number one out of many. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, like strive, first of all, striving for excellence, but in general, doing the best you can, you know, in every situation might not be perfect, but having that attitude of I'm going to do this in the best way I can and not to half-ass things, right? Because I think when you start have a, half-assing things in general, it's... um you know, you lose a little respect for yourself in the process. You know, you don't, you're not happy with the product. And even if uh, what you do isn't perfect, when you did your best, there's such satisfaction in that, right? There's, there's a feeling of growth in that. So having that, you know, as a company culture, I think that's so important and really help recruit everyone towards the same, the same goal. Amazing. Amazing. So, you know, starting to, to wrap up, I have a few questions. So if if you were to give advice to young entrepreneurs today, what what would you want let, let's do it this way. What would you want your younger selves to know like 5 years ago about about founding a company and and embarking on this journey? Wow, that that's a tough one. <laughs> um, you know, my, my piece of advice would be to think not so much of, you know, what what is the best idea or, or you know, maybe what, what do you like to do? How do you like your everyday life look like? You know, I was... I was very technical in the army, right? I was a researcher and I led led teams. Okay, but I, uh, you know, my happiest moments were talking to people and pushing things to to happen and and to to making things happen. And you know, other people just like to code or to to do the research. And everyone needs to know, you know, what is most attractive for them. So, you know, when when we discussed, you know, who should be a head of engineering or VP R&D or CTO or CEO, it was very easy because both of us knew perfectly well why we are here. So, you know, it's hard, but try not to think about how shiny will it be to establish a startup. It's not, you know, <laughs> it is, but most of the time you are... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> you are too busy to to be satisfied with yourself. I, I, I'm never satisfied with, with myself because my job is not to be satisfied. And uh, uh, you can uh, <laughs> have a look at the hairline of of both of us, and you can <laughs> understand which is the most uh, stressed one. And it, <laughs> you know that's uh, th- that's my nature, and 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 that's okay. But that's what I like to do, and uh, I think. Um, you know, um, that would be my my piece of advice. Amazing. I think, first of all, you know, you you kind of uh, touched on this anxiety, you know, that keeps you that keeps you unsatisfied. And I think, you know, it might not be fun, but it's one of the most important things to actually uh, actually do big things, right? Because you're never you're never quite at peace with uh, with not doing anything, yes. right? You're constantly wanting to to do better and to create and um you know it might it might be stressful but i i I relate to that um kind of feeling of um something that's constantly pushing you to move you know and to do more it's okay to be satisfied for you know five seconds but (laughs) (laughs) no of course that's why we have mindfulness and we know we need to remember to uh to enjoy ourselves as well and uh, celebrate the accomplishments but i think a little bit of that uh fire fire is a it's a good thing it's a good thing as well and the other thing that you mentioned about knowing what you like to do i think that's so important and you know we we don't really talk about it that much i think this idea of not looking right and left at what everyone else is doing and trying to understand what are my unique qualities, what are my skills, what do I bring to the table on, on the one hand, and then what do I enjoy doing, right? How, And sometimes just in like the logistics of the, your day, right, do you like being with people or are you so introverted and it exhausts you and you want to be, you know, in front of a computer all day? Do you like a job that's very dynamic or do you like something that's a little bit more repetitive where you can, uh, you know, do feel like you're doing better and better each day on the same task? So there's there's all these different dimensions. And I think really, really going through that with yourself and understanding what's important to you and what kind of also what kind of impact you want to have in the world. I think that's also right. um, What how how your unique set of traits uh, how how you can make the most of it uh, and and maybe one one more yeah. advice you know keep healthy don't be an idiot if you don't sleep and don't eat and uh. and you know don't talk to your parents or or meet meeting friends it's okay you will be busy you have to be and you know that's like all i'm doing okay constantly that's what i'm doing and yet it, it's important, you know, whether it's, you know, jogging or meditation or, you know, and not or sleeping enough. It's so important, you know, not doing it. It doesn't make you a, makes you a better CEO or, or CTO. It makes you uh, not scalable. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think, you know, there's this whole idea of work-life balance and it became kind of like this uh, catchphrase. But I think that yes, this idea of when I when I look at my day to day and everything that I'm trying to do in my life, half I feel like half of my life goes to maintenance. You know, it's the sleep, it's the eating right, it's the it's the exercising, it's talking to friends, it's seeing family, it's all of these different things that uh, that makes the work worthwhile as well, right? Because if you're just exhausting yourself. Uh, where there is this kind of, uh, I think, uh, you know, kind of this archetype of like the exhausted CEO and just, you know, I'm, I'm not even sleeping and I don't even have time to eat and I'm just like working myself to the bone and the, and the harder I work and the less, uh, I take care of myself, like the more virtuous I am. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And and like you said, it's not scalable. It's not sustainable. And, you know, what kind of relationships are you going to have in your life? Like what, what is all of this hard work going into, right? You want to have that uh, balance of, 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 you know, first taking care of yourself, taking care of your relationships and um, not having everything be about work because I think then kind of lose sight of, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Right. Um, amazing. Amazing. So, okay. 
Amir, same question going to you now. Wow, okay. So, oh yeah, for, I, the first um, ad, uh, advice I'd give, I already said, I, I think the people you're going to uh, walk this journey with is the number one uh, parameter, right? Just as um, probably the, the uh, decision of who you're going to marry is probably yeah. number one in, in the um, happiness indicator uh, afterwards. So, I mean, you can make a really crappy choice or you can make a really good one. So, I think that's that's number one in um, what I would tell people and and really sort of forget about the rest once you have assembled a good team um, then together you'll find the idea and you'll find the path forward and you'll find what what your exact business model will be and what your product what you're going to build and and you won't be afraid to succeed and fail together so that's that's really important and I think I mean, This really is a marathon, right? So it connects to what Nir said about keeping balanced and not stressing yourself to the bone. But um, also, I mean, you need to be able to look at what's happening today and what's happening this week on on all scales, on what's happening with the product today and what's happening with uh, with the business and wh- what happens to all the stakeholders that's happening. I mean, ever, you're always late for some deadlines. So, so <laughs> that's on the one hand, but you need to remember that uh, great companies are not built in a day or a week or a year, right? It's, it's a journey. And if you, have, if you spare the time to work on the culture and you work on, on building your team and you work on putting the big blocks in first, right? Uh, and you actually focus on these things as well. So that's the way you're going to succeed because there is always going to be something urgent, but sometimes the important things are not stressing you this minute, but, but they will... find you in the end right for better or for worse yeah yeah I love that you know idea of making sure the foundations are strong right and that's like you said the people that you're that you're working with uh, the company culture that you're cultivating those are the foundations that at the end of the day if there's a storm you guys are going to be able to weather it and and yes this distinction between the urgent and the important right because there's Like you said, there's always something that you're late for, some, some deadline that's, um, you know, looming overhead, but, but really taking the time of building these. Uh... It's misleading because there's always things that are both urgent and important. Yeah. You're never going to say this is urgent, but it's not important. So I'm going to do it just because it's deadline for tomorrow. No, you're, you're always working on urgent and important things, but you also have to leave place for the important non-urgent things sometimes those are the really big blocks that uh, need to be taken care of right those those are really the things that you know sustain at right. the end of the day wonderful wonderful okay so the podcast is called the bigger picture right and there's this idea of the bigger picture being kind of a way of looking at the world right it's it's looking at a situation and saying what is the big idea here? Right, zooming out and seeing the hidden meaning behind things. So I think take that and you look at the bigger picture, first of all, in your personal life, what your you know, personal bigger picture is, and also what is the bigger picture of your company classic and what you hope to accomplish with it. So who wants to start? I'll start. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll start. Uh, so I'll go in the order you described. So I'll, yeah. I'll take it first on the personal level. So this really is an incredible growth journey. So I'm, for, for me, I'm, I'm an optimistic guy uh, by nature. So I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm optimistic. I think, I think this company will succeed and that will be, you know, uh, will open for me whole new frontiers of, of possibilities, right? From, from senior management in, in a huge company to having all this experience on how to build things from scratch, that's, that's huge. But even in the pessimistic case where all I had was the experience and in the end, something went the wrong way. So for me, number one priority is always to learn and to challenge myself and to learn new things. And this fundamentally comes with doing things that are outside of the comfort zone, right? That, that are really hard. And, and that's, 
that's number one for me. I mean, I think, I hope until the day that my power leaves my body, then, then I will continue doing these things that are challenging and, and teach me new skills and, and put me in uh, different situations. That, that's what really gives me a kick, right? So that's on a personal level. And I'm also having like a blast, right? It's the time yeah. of my life. So, so uh, in, that, in that sense, it's time well spent. And from the company's point of view, I think, I mean, you can't really be better positioned to be a market leader than where we're at. We're at the right timing. Of course, it could move a year or two in either direction and there can be unknown unknowns. But as far as we can see, this is, I mean... The, the the wave is coming and, and we're we're on it and the domain is right and the team is excellent and, and the challenges are real. So so you can't solve these things with like nice uh, uh, user interface or, or graphical uh, design, right? You need to really put in the, the technology to make it work. So again, I mean, best case scenario, uh, five years from now, uh, Google or, Mar- or Microsoft of, of quantum computing is classic and, and um, we're really leading the software space. And I mean, it can go many different other ways, but I mean, that's the dream and, and I hope that's where we're aiming. That's, that's the big picture for, for classic. Amazing. Amazing. Wow, it, it will be hard to, to, to compete. Luckily, I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> no competition so, here. Yeah, yeah. So for, for me, you know, I'm not very good at being uh, happy from the process and from trying. I, you know, if the result is not good, I'm not very satisfied of, of the way. And that's not good. It's, it's much better to be satisfied. But, you know, if I just finish, uh, you know, half a marathon and I didn't break my record, it wasn't good. Right. So I am <laughs> I'm very uh, uh, success oriented and, you know, that's my, my motivation. But my real bigger picture is, you know, don't, don't be snob, don't be an <laughs> asshole, you know that's fine, you are a CEO in a funded startup, stay nice, you know, help people, you know, feed hungry cats in the street. Don't be a dick. It's so easy to, <laughs> to become one and, uh, you know, try to do good and not, you know, thinking, uh, you know, only of yourself. And for classic, quantum computers are going to change the world Today, using it, you know, writing software for that is impossible. We make it possible. That's the bigger picture for me. Amazing. Amazing. What you guys are doing is absolutely incredible. And you guys are so amazing. And I mean, just, you know, everything that you guys have said and shared and, you know, the optimism, the being down to earth and, you know, how important it is for you guys to to foster this uh you know family culture in your company and i can i can tell that you guys are you know still still have your values in check right and you still um you know have uh, have your eyes on uh, on what's important and i love that and i think classic is going to be amazing and i can't wait to see see you guys just soar and uh, quantum computing you know take off and it's been such a pleasure talking with you guys. Thank you for coming. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Oni. It was a great pleasure. Uh, ha- happy to, to continue and see what uh, other episodes and, and um, uh, other uh, um, people are coming. This is really interesting. I mean, it really does give the bigger picture. So yeah, we're looking forward to hearing the other interviewees as well. Oh, thank for you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll definitely send you uh, once everything is up as well. Wonderful. All right. And we're out. For everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in to The Bigger Picture. I hope you found this conversation interesting. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to hit subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. My name is Roni Fugron. This is The Bigger Picture. And thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>